Can I tell you all, I think we may have created a monster. I think the podcast might be responsible for creating a monster. And like, it's something that does need to be addressed. So if you recall last year, Tulsa Tough Time, we brought in Peter Olonicek and Adam Hyerson to talk about mentorship. And the two of them had this incredible conversation. If you haven't heard it, go back, listen to it again. The problem is, is that I think the fame and the notoriety of being a great mentor has potentially gotten to Peter's head. After that episode came out, I was told by his teammates on Project Echelon that Peter started mentoring everybody. Like he suddenly became unafraid to tell everybody exactly what to do. And given the amount of experience the guy's got in criterium racing, his advice is pretty darn good advice. So like it had great results for the team. Ethan Crane ended up winning over Clever Martinez and a bunch of other people. Monk became the, you know, ACC overall individual champion. They had great results early this year at Gila and at Redlands with Tyler Stites, Valley of the Sun, Tucson Bicycle Classic. Clearly, Peter's advice has been paying off. But he started giving advice to everybody. He started mentoring everybody in every different subject. So earlier this year, I heard on the day of Perry roubaix that Peter was there, kicks down the door to the Alpacin bus and starts giving Matthew Vanderpool advice on tactics for how to win Perry roubaix Sure enough, the guy ends up winning in spectacular fashion, but like Peter, really? You're gonna kick down the door of a bus? We know the guy loves his ice cream. The cream is what he dreams of and lives for. Uh, you know, it's just what it is. But I found out earlier this week that the guy up there in Burlington at the test kitchen for Ben and Jerry's, giving Ben and Jerry themselves advice on how to tweak Cherry's Garcia to make it even more tasty. I mean, Admittedly, it's really good stuff. I got to try a little bit, but I mean, I think that maybe he's gone overboard. And this is when I knew that I was in trouble. This is when I knew that I had created a monster that was Peter Olenicek, the mentor of mentors. I walk into my office yesterday, and there is Peter Olenicek sitting at my desk, feet up on the desk with one of the transcripts from a cross-examination that I had recently done, pen in hand, highlighter in hand, writing notes for me on how to make that cross-examination better. Of course, I did what anybody, any normal sane person would do. Immediately had the man arrested because the FBI works for me. But now I sat down, I looked at the notes that he had put in the margins of the transcript, and I'll be damned, that son of a bitch got it right. It was a ton of great ways to improve my cross-examination. Peter Olenicek, we may have created a, a mentoring monster, but damn, the mentoring advice that he's giving out is really solid stuff. My name is Rob Kelly. This is Criterium Nation, a show about life lived one corner at a time. We are a proud part of the Wide Angle Podium network of shows. WideAnglePodium.com is your source for the best in independent cycling content, independent cycling media, news, information about bike racing that you can find all over the place from Cyclocross Radio to Nowhere Fast to The Grodio to our friends at the Slow Ride Podcast who have been trying trying to scoop us on Criterium-related news. But here we are 
undeterred, ready to give you the best Criterium-related news. The thing is, is that the Wide Angle Podium Network is self-funded. We are a collective of folks who love bike racing, but we need your support to continue doing this work and to make sure that the lights, the proverbial lights, stay on. So please go to the WideAnglePodium.com website and subscribe, become a member, and help financially support this effort. Of course, my hyperbolean joke from the beginning about our wonderful friend Peter Olenicek is just that. It's a little bit of hyperbole, but it is true. We're here to talk about mentorship, but we're here to talk about mentorship from the other direction. We're here to talk about what those people who are receiving mentorship want and need and what the best way to approach them is. So just throwing yourself at somebody and saying you want to mentor them doesn't necessarily have the same positive results that you really hope it will. So we've got Kim Stolveld from Automatic Racing. She is a new bike racer. She's new to the sport, been around for a year and a half, but in that time, she's had some pretty solid results. But she still makes the same mistakes that all new bike racers make. She's just making them at a higher rate of speed and with a heck of a lot more power than most Cat 4s would. She's a Cat 2, she's won big races, She's ready to win bigger races, and her results from races like Speed Week or Athens, Tour of Newport News, shows that she's really darn good. There's a story we tell in the episode about her results at Athens and being off the back right there next to the moto official. I've spoken to the moto official who was there, who was the receiver of Kim's commentary at that time, and his response to me was, she is really, really strong. And once she figures out the cornering part of it, she's going to be unstoppable. So we want to figure out from her what the best way is for those of us who've been around for a while to help support newer, younger riders like herself. How do we effectively mentor as opposed to just trying to tell people everything? Mentorship and advice is like nostalgia. So for those of us who are giving it out, sometimes we don't think about how well the person who's receiving it will receive it and what is a better way to do that. So we asked Kim what it is that we can do better to help make her better. And we're doing that right now. So I'm Kim Stoveld. I live in Philadelphia and I race for automatic. And Kim, you are young in the sport of bike racing. You are basically brand new. Like the new car smell hasn't even left you yet. How, how long have you been doing this particular oddity of a sport that we call bike racing? I started bike racing at the end of 2021. I started really racing in 2022. I did not consider myself a bike racer before that, before 2022. I can't remember if this is like a gravel lock question or if this is friend of the podcast, Amanda Nauman type question, but how did you find bikes? You know, because you are, you're not 16 and you're not 60, you're somewhere in between. And it's not a thing that a lot of women your age seem to be like, oh my God, I want to start racing my bike as opposed to just riding a bike. How did you find these this bike racing thing? Yeah, so 
I started, I would say triathlon got me into riding my bike and I very, I did it for a couple of years. I don't, didn't, I ended the sport and didn't really want to stay in it. And so I found long riding. Uh, the pandemic gave me the option and time to do a lot of long rides. And then I found that long rides really weren't bringing the same competition or itch to solve for competition as they were. And then I decided to try something harder. I did gravel racing. John said, please never do that again. Uh, it's too long. It's too much work. It's too far. It's too expensive. There's no reward. And he was doing crit racing. And instead of me watching his crit races and riding to the race and riding home on my bike, I decided race so that I could race with him. We should probably make mention that John is not some random dude in this world. John's your husband. John's the husband. Yes. And he he has a a fabulous YouTube presence, uh, sizzly famous, you know, because Philadelphia is all about it's 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 uh what Wawa or is it is it the other one Sheets? Oh no, we're the Wawa family on this side of Pennsylvania. Okay, I get confused sometimes, and I don't want to cause a border war between us down here in D.C. and all of you up in Pennsylvania, because Maryland cannot separate us. The first race that you did is one of my favorite race names is the plan to peak up in Buffalo. Why, 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 you know, like somebody in Philadelphia, it's not like a short trip and there's a lot of bike racing that can happen in the Pennsylvania area in late July. Why go all the way up to Buffalo to do this race? Well, I have strong ties to Buffalo. I swam for the university of Buffalo in college. I still have a lot of friends there and my father in law lives there. And so I thought, oh, if I do a bike race and don't do well, at least I'll be around family and friends. Seemed like a safe place to try something where nobody knew who I was. But did you go out on the chip strip afterwards? Did you celebrate Uh, properly? No, I'm in my mid-30s. I don't celebrate properly anymore. There's a there's a bar on the on Chippewa Street that I go to every once in a while when I'm in Buffalo. It's the chocolate bar. And the best thing about it is that it's all desserts and they constantly have Willy Wonka's chocolate factory on repeat going around and around and around. And there's a Hampton Inn like right next door to it. So like that's the place where I ended up staying all the time. The fun thing about your results from from this two days of Buffalo is you won the women's overall. You won the time trial. You won the road race and you did not place in the crit. There's a story there. Yeah. there. <laughs> Unfortunately, there was a crash uh, in the crit and nobody was able to finish because the racer who crashed uh, got pretty severely injured, which I guess was my fear going into the race in the first place. Uh, so it didn't really do much to calm my fears to see that. But yeah, it didn't place and nobody placed uh, in the crit, unfortunately. But you were undeterred. You kept going and you've progressed up the chain of bike racing experience from Cat 4 now to Cat 2. And in women's bike racing, Cat 2 in the United States is, you know, pretty much that you can do any race that you want to. And you've been doing any race that you want to since then. And you've been winning a lot of races just and I don't know how. You are so new in this sport that you don't even know yet that you can shift gears. 
yeah, the rumor is that, that you actually can do that. Um, <laughs> I look at them. I do consider it. <laughs> I mean, all joking aside, I got to watch you race at um, the Tour of Newport News a couple weeks ago. And you have the lowest cadence out of any bike racer that I've seen. Even when you were in the process of lapping the field, you still had a slow but steady cadence. We've got to talk about that a little bit. We also have to talk about why keep going. You know, what is it about this sport that has kept you going from race to race to race to race, even though you're in your mid-30s and there's a lot of other things in life that are pulling at your attention? You've continued to keep going. Why? Why do this? It's it's really fun. It's really challenging. It's something I can do with my husband. That I mean, God, I was kind of hoping for a longer, more long-winded answer so that I could come up with a really good question as a follow-up. But, you know, what value or what importance does having John in your life, being a bike racer himself, you know, is... Is he the guy who's encouraging you to do this? Are there other women that are in the Philly world that are encouraging you to do this? Yeah, so the people are great. Um, there's not a huge community of women near me, but it's close-knit and really supportive. Um, John is super supportive, uh, and he enjoys doing it, so it's nice. The, the One of the nicest things is we have two chances every time we race since we race together for one of us to do well. So double, double the odds. That's <laughs> more than most people. Um, and then the nice thing about bike racing and being new in bike racing, I feel like when you start a new sport or a new challenge, um, you get really good, really fast in the beginning, and then it kind of slows down. So I'm still in that getting really good, really fast phase. Um, and I'm seeing a lot of really good results. Um, of course, the downside is I also don't have a lot of experience. So it's either I get really good results or pretty average to poor results. Uh, there's not a lot in between, and there's something to learn from both types of results. One is to be celebrated and excited, and you know the other one is something to learn from. And the nice thing that I found is that there's um, there's always something to improve on. You can always get better at this sport. So that's what I'm hoping to do. Do you have somebody around you who's mentoring you, giving you advice? who doesn't have the last name Stolveld. Yeah, I have a coach. Um, uh, Tom, Tom Gibbons is coach, and he started coaching me last year. It's been helpful. And then on top of that, I have a Tuesday ride in Philadelphia. If you're ever in Philly on Tuesday at 545, you can come join. And I have about 45 people who um, are incredibly supportive that come on the rides that like to ride really, really, really hard. Um, and so I get a lot of support from that too. What about women? As far as other women who are in the sport with you, you know, have they kind of been encouraging to you? Has one or two of them taken you under their their wing? You know, like every woman of a certain age, you know, age in bike racing, like number of years in bike racing, we'll talk about Tina Pick or Laura Van Gelder or these classic women who have been around the sport forever who kind of just like grab a young bike racer and mentor them. Is there somebody like that for you? Um, yes, there's been a couple of people who've reached out who have been really helpful. There's probably a lot more mentors out there and there's probably a lot more that I just don't have access to. But um, I mean, you mentioned Laura Van Gilder and she's, she spoke to me after a lot of races and was very encouraging. Um, one of 
the other women who are more local to Philly, but moved down to Baltimore. Um, Jackie had reached out um, early and has been very helpful and a mentor. Um, and then there's a few women here who I, I talked to and race with, uh, Flora Ian and Rachel Rubino, who live in the Philly area that have been racing for a long time, that have been really, really helpful. And of course, Jackie, the Jackie you mentioned is the, the world famous Jackie McClure, the uh, partner of Will Gleason, CS Velo fame. The, the main topic for us is, is kind of what we're doing when it comes to bringing in new riders and what we're doing right or wrong as far as mentoring and educating them. You've come into the sport and it's not exactly been a rocket ship for you. But your progress up is a lot faster than your progress could typically be. So we'll pause for a second. Me, my example, you know, and this is the example that a lot of men will have is that you fumble around for a couple of years in the cat fours and in the cat threes. I made it up to cat three within a year. And then I spent like five or six years quitting the sport, getting back into the sport, quitting it. But in all that time, I got the opportunity to make a lot of mistakes at a lot of really small races where there wasn't a lot at stake. Because of the way that you've progressed, you didn't get the opportunity to make a lot of mistakes and to do a lot of the learning that naturally goes into it before you were thrust into the women's pro field at something like Electric City or at Gateway. And, you know, when you look at your results at Gateway, they are starkly different than the results that you were having earlier in the year in these smaller races. And I'm going to bet, and this is me making an assumption, but you'll have to correct me if I'm wrong, when you got to Gateway and you were doing four days of racing in St. Louis, it was a huge wake-up call for you as far as what women do at the front of the field what mistakes you can make and what mistakes you're going to be punished for making. So, you know, talk to us about that. Talk to us about when you first were exposed to the bigger races versus the way that your experience or knowledge was from everything that came before it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Gateway was probably the largest race that I did in 2022. Um, I, yeah, 2022 started when I was, uh, did some pro races. Some of them were a little bit smaller. I, you know, I did Wilmington and Somerville, which were a little larger. I think I had pretty average results there too. Um, the difference between those races is what, well, in my opinion is that I, I am a very strong rider and sometimes I'm very strong that I can make mistakes and then make up for it because I'm have a really strong power or I don't get tired quite as quickly. Um, but those mistakes are very obvious when everyone else in the field is just as strong as you are and maybe doesn't get as tired just like you. And so maybe those errors that I had made in smaller races or in different races were a little less obvious because I could make up and cover them up with some of my actual strengths, uh, which is, you know, power and speed. A lot of us, as we move up, we see the margin for error that we had decreasing dramatically. Like, there's a world of difference in between being a cat three and being a cat two. 
on the men's and the women's side. There's an even larger difference between being a cat two and a cat one. And then there's an even larger distance between being a cat one, which is admittedly the elite amateur level bike racer in the United States and the man or woman who's winning, you know, a intelligentsia cup race or a gateway race or a speed week race. Like the distance between points of progress keeps growing. What was the first point of progress do you think that you made in your development where you said to yourself, huh, I never would have imagined that was the case before? Yeah. So I, the first professional race that I did, the P1T3 race at Wilmington, and I'll never forget this, I ended up getting 16 tips because half the field fell off um, and I was the back of the finishing pack of 16. And I sat on the front for the last three laps of Wilmington and dragged the entire field around for three laps, thinking that it, I was in front of them and therefore going to finish in front of them and be fast. I had done this in a bunch of three, four races before, and I had done it in some races when I like was a one-day license. And I finished that race and realized you can't do that in a big race. Uh, in fact, I actually just helped everyone else beat me by doing that. Um, I think I remember texting Tom afterwards and he was just like, yep, that, that was dumb, but hopefully you figured it out and learned your lesson. Uh, I didn't quite learn it there. Probably took me one or two more times, but, and maybe I'm still learning it, (laughs) but hopefully, but hopefully I. I mean, you kind of had to do the same thing again at Newport News this year. You were up the road with two other women. One of them was a BMX Olympian versus you. And of course, that required punchy speed at certain points in time. I mean, you had to understand that the deck was stacked against you there, too. You know, compare yourself from 2022 in May of 2022 at Wilmington versus the, you know, the Kim from April of 2023, who's again, found herself in a position where she's at the front. And now she, what has she learned? What was the lessons that you were trying to apply to that situation? Yeah. So, uh, so luckily I knew who she was. Oh, we had raced before and I knew she was being an Olympian and I knew she had a stronger sprint. So the only way that I was going to beat her was to beat her before the last 200 meters after that final turn. Um, and we had lapped the field and so that kind of confused things. And I had been in that situation before where a small group has lapped the field and you have to figure out what to do. Uh, but I had never been in that situation with somebody who was pretty confident was going to beat me unless I tried to be a little bit smarter. And I was a little bit smarter. She still beat me. So I haven't. figured everything else yet but I did try to play to my strengths uh and make you know make the last couple of laps pretty difficult to see if maybe I could prevent it from coming down to a sprint that I was pretty confident I was going to lose did you when you went to a race like Gateway you know coming off successes at like Electric City and things like that going into a race where you're going to race against a UCI World Tour professional you know, in uh, Kaya Schmidt and Danny Morrishead, who's a phenomenal sprinter, and Marlise, who's won basically any race that she's ever looked at. You know, you've got these incredible women. 
did you walk into a race at Gateway going, oh, no, I'm Kim Stovald. I'm going to beat all these women. Actually, yeah, I did. I did think that I was confident to, um, to beat them. And it wasn't because I, I don't know. Well, I know why. I Most of it is because I'm very new to this and I have that sort of naive confidence that comes with when you're really new at something and you know just enough to be dangerous. And uh, the other benefit was I actually didn't know how accomplished all these cyclists were at the time. I had kind of heard of them, but I did not know quite how good they were. So I did go into the race with a lot of probably foolish confidence. Um, and I did think that I was going to win. I love everything about that because I can see that happening in any amateur race, especially if you're the dude or the woman coming in from out of town and they're just like, oh, my God, who's that random person? You know, nobody. There's no fear. If you get dropped, you're you're not going to be embarrassed by the fact that you get dropped and everybody knows you. It's like, oh, well, that's there's there's a certain freedom to it. But after night one, for example, after Lafayette Park, did you suddenly realize that maybe there were some hitters there that maybe you needed to step your game up? Oh yeah. And I, I figured that out within the first couple of laps of the first race that these girls were not only as strong as me, like I had said, but smarter and more experienced. And I well, got, I mean, I got pretty intimidated and nervous uh, as we were lining up as a, you know, they read out all the call-ups and all the people who are there and you, you hear some of the accolades of the people that you're racing against. And then you're like, all of a sudden you're like, Oh wait, none of the, I've done none of those things. <laughs> but you're, you're going to, you know, you're, you're going to do these things. I don't want to suggest that you're going to win as many races as Paola Munoz is going to win, or that you're going to represent your country or something like that in a national team. But like, you're going to make accomplishments in your career as a bike racer. Unless you quit today, you're going to make accomplishments because you just keep getting better. You know, what do you, as a younger bike racer, younger meaning inexperienced, you know, what are you looking at as far as accomplishments that you think that you can attain? Yeah, um, that's a great question. Uh, my goals actually change every year. If you had asked me if I would be racing at this level last year in May, I would have told you no, because at the time my goal was to race a couple of local races and drink beers with John after the race on the grass and maybe win a few, but I'd be fine with coming in last place. Well, no, no my, maybe not last place, but um, that I'd be fine just, just, doing okay at some of the local races, I had no idea what was out there. Um, now that I've raced a few races and I've had a little bit of success, um, you know, I'd like to see how far I can go before I either get slower, older and slower, if that's possible. Um, or, you know, until something else comes along, but I, I'm pretty invested. I'm having a really good time. Statistically speaking, you're going to get older. I haven't figured out how to reverse that yet. I've been having discussions, but nobody I know can seem to point me in the right direction because Lord knows I like to be 22 again, just with my brains and salary. Uh, that being said, you know, I want to know what we can do better. You know, like what can we 
the experienced folks do better to get you into this sport and to keep you in the sport because there's not as many women and there's not as many new people in the sport as we need there to be. I, I don't know if you realize this, but the demographics of bike racing is uh, has been over the last couple of years skewing older and older and older and more male so that when you show up to a bike race, you know, some of the biggest categories now are like the 35 plus and 45 plus men or 40 and 50 plus, depending on what region you are. It's never the cat one, two, three women. When you walked into this sport and as you've grown up over the last two years, have you felt welcomed? Have you felt encouraged? It's been pretty variable, I have to say. Um, so a few races where I've met people and they've talked to me, it's been very welcoming and I want to keep doing it. But I have to say the first, one of the first crits I showed up to, uh, it was a small field of women and I was very nervous and intimidated. My hair tie broke and I asked if someone could give me a spare hair tie and not one person said yes, even though there was hair ties sitting on people's wrists. Um, and I was like, oh my gosh, what did I get myself into? And I think it's just people get really nervous before a race and they don't like talking to people. And some people, um, do, um, so it's, it's kind of been variable. Like I said, I've had really positive experience from other women, you know, either people giving me advice or mentoring or just being encouraging. Sometimes just listening is helpful. Um, but I've also had the opposite experience. And so if I've had it and I'm pretty smiley and well, well, usually pretty nice and welcoming, I'm sure it's happened to other people too. So I don't, I mean, I don't know how to fix that, but you know, if people could have pretty consistent, welcoming vibes from other women there, you know, maybe it wouldn't be so intimidating. Have you gotten the helpful yet non-helpful advice in the middle of the race, you know, the, the rider that comes up next to you and says, you, you shouldn't do that. You know, has that been, uh, an experience that you've gone through yet? Oh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. I get, I get that actually before races, during races and after races. How successful is that as far as convincing you that maybe you should change behavior or tell the other person to F right off? Uh, it hasn't, <laughs> It's always good advice. It's maybe not always well intended. I, I always think that it that it is, um, but it's almost never changed uh, my writing style or what I'm doing ever. Let's say it's good advice, you know, like, and I don't even have a really great example right now. The other day, okay, so here's the advice that I gave to somebody the other day. He's a really strong bike racer, uh, not very tactically sound and very not safe. I'll just come right out and say it. He's very squirrely in a field, but he's super strong and he's always going to be there unless, you know, something bad happens and he crashes himself out, which has happened in the past. And I know who he is and, I, and I'd like to think that I'm friendly with him, but he was doing something in a race. I stepped away from the race, but I ran into him on a group ride. And so I just rolled up next to him on the, on the group ride while we were not going hard or anything like that. And I said, Hey, why don't you try this during this ride? You know, I, I, my suggestion to him was not to fixate on the wheel directly in front of him, but actually pay attention to what the person two and three riders in front of him were doing. That way he could respond more gradually 
he could anticipate better and he wouldn't be in the situation where he was going from zero to 300 in an instant, which is what he was doing in these races. And it was getting kind of sketchy because he was always punching his like way through the field. So I don't know if he took that in the way that I wanted him to, but I do feel like the approach that I made to him was a good approach. Has anybody ever said something to you, which now that you think about it in retrospect was something that was a super positive statement. They just might not have said it to you at the best time or in the best manner. Oh, definitely. Um, and I might even write some of that, what you told that guy down. Um, I think that I've, yeah, I think that a lot of people have given me good advice and I actually do listen to a lot of advice, although I hate to admit it. Uh, but I do, I write stuff down. I do listen to advice. I think the important thing with advice, especially with people who are already a little bit scared and intimidated is timing. In my experience, talking to someone in a group ride in a non-threatening situation after the race is probably a really good idea. Um, if I could make one suggestion, it would be um, see if he wants the advice first. Uh, some people just need they do want it, but they, they want to be asked first. And I think if maybe I got some advice and cause I'm always, I always want to learn if somebody would just wait until I ask, I probably would be a little bit more receptive. How do you know to ask? I mean, it's a, it's a legitimate thought process in my mind. Cause sometimes you don't know what you don't know. And, 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 yeah. And somebody like Tom, Tom Gibbons, obviously has raced more bike races than he spent more hours bike racing than most people have spent riding. You know, and, and so Tom will be somebody you will always go to and trust, not just because he's your team leader, he's also your coach. But like, if you see somebody who you don't have that same relationship with, would you as a new rider be willing to go up to him and ask? You know, would you be willing to come up to somebody and be like, hey, I think I know who you are or something like that. Can you help me? Yeah, I would like to say yes to that question, but I I don't think that I would. And I don't think a lot of other new riders would either. I think that a lot of us are really, really scared. And to the point of us not knowing and uh, not knowing what we don't know, eventually it's going to come out and eventually it's something you're going to struggle with and eventually you're going to know. So again, it kind of goes back to timing, um, not ready to get the advice because uh, you're already nervous and you're already intimidated and you're already tired, especially if you're telling them during a race or after. Um, and in a lot of cases, you're already a little bit upset how you did because likely if you need advice, you did something wrong, right? So the, the, the timing is important. And I always think that maybe getting advice from from people who are well-intended are is important. And I think if it's a random person that you're going up to, uh, they might not be quite sure what your intentions are. What is there a way that more experienced riders can make themselves more open or more available? Cause like there's one thing to do formal mentoring. You know, to to go to the Kerry Warner Cyclocross Clinic, and now you're paying him and his staff in order to teach you how to better race 
across. That's a formal version of mentoring. The version of mentoring that I think a lot of us think about and we had the most success with is the informal stuff. You know, getting onto the, what's the Philadelphia ride, the Dirty 30? Dirty 30, Wednesday morning, 6.45. Yeah, with uh, Matt McClune and sometimes Davey Dawson. And, you know, there's a lot of experience there. And those guys are incredible mentors. And they would probably talk your ears off about bike racing if you give them the opportunity. But it's that informal mentorship and those informal relationships that develop that are kind of the keys to a lot of people's success. And I get the sense that a lot of mentoring, especially when it goes across genders, you know, when it's male, female, and we'll talk about that in a second, but a lot of that mentoring has to be initiated by the person who has the experience. So let's keep it same gender first. You know, how would you suggest to somebody who's a more experienced female bike racer to come to you and say, Hey, I'd like to help. What's the best way? Yeah. I think being friendly saying hello, introducing yourself is the best way to start. Um, you know, it's maybe not the, Hey, we were in a race together and, uh, I'm really good. And I thought you do this and you shouldn't do it. And uh, not that people do that, but, it, but that would be something to avoid doing, but just being friendly and introducing themselves, uh, and talking about bike racing. I mean, the person who's new that's there wants talk about bike racing they are also bike racing with you uh and more than likely they want to get better which is why they keep signing up for races so it's there they you know that that sort of desire to learn is there i'd say for me and then for people like me um but it's you got to break down that barrier to begin with and and we're you know people are already intimidated they're already nervous they already know that they're not doing it right um so if somebody comes up and in a non-threatening sort of friendly way that would probably help so i'm starting to see this is this is as complicated potentially as as dating i've been very removed from dating <laughs> i don't remember <laughs> so am i but but my wife and i watch a lot of uh a lot of teen dramas on on netflix so that I, that's my kind of experience and maybe it's radically different than those teen dramas but it's 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 all about figuring out it's never about being direct. It's about what is the way to get to somebody where they will remove the armor. They will, they will be more receptive. And the way that you do that is not by going, Hey man, you suck. Here's how you're going to get better. It's from what I'm hearing from you. It's about, Hey, we share something in common. Yeah. That's it. We share something in common and, or I want you to get better. Maybe like, you know, getting your intention, of course, sharing something in common, being friendly, being open. Um, I mean, you could even probably, I know this is probably awkward, but maybe even ask, Hey, I, you know, would you like some advice? And can I offer you some advice? Can I, you know, I've been doing this for a while and I saw something. Would you like, would you like me to talk about it with you? Um, 
that way you know the timing is right. When it crosses genders, I think it, it adds a new level of complexity. Yes. Because not only do we run into mansplaining, which uh, I've been guilty of doing numerous times, uh, probably just today alone, but also <laughs> there's the very real fact of like, you're married and husbands get jealous, wives get jealous, you know, it, it just gets a little complicated. Do you think, first off, do you have male non-John, you know, mentors or or people who are giving you advice that you aren't paying for, sort of, you know, with like Tom as your coach? Yeah. Um, yeah, so I get advice from him and from, you know, the seven to eight guys on the men's team as well. Uh, and then the 45 guys I ride with on Tuesdays. And then I usually get advice from the announcers of every single race uh, during and after. And I also get advice from most of the masters riders that come up that have noticed things that I've done wrong. And then I've probably gotten enough advice from people not racing and who are spectators as well. I did, I want to say Riverton last year in Riverton, New Jersey, it was mid-June. I got third place. I sat in a, in no man's land between uh, the two-man break up the road, Colleen and Laura Van Gilder. Uh, and I sat in that break for probably 45 minutes completely solo, never bridging up and never sitting back. And I was pretty happy with third. That was probably one of my best results uh, of 2022 to that point. And I counted because I was curious how many people would come up to me and tell me all the things I did wrong during that race. And it was 15. And I was only there for about two hours after the race. 15. All men. I'm guessing that that was not helpful. No. <laughs> and one of them was the announcer. He was lovely. And I enjoyed his commentary. Uh, but yeah, 15 people. Is the... <laughs> uh as you can tell by the uh, rosiness of my cheeks, I was not expecting that level of honesty or that level of insight uh, to get tossed right at me. And I now realize that maybe men giving women advice is a little bit overkill. Yeah, it, it you know, it was, they mean well. Most of them I did know, well, not, about half of them I knew. Uh, and then actually a lot of them had come up in later races of the year and telling me that they noticed I made some changes and they, they, they wanted to see it. It was probably because I took their advice. Clearly, because you took my advice, you won three or four more races that year than you would have won anyways, I guess. We'll, we'll all take credit for somebody else's success. That's what we specialize in doing. So there's a lot of unsolicited advice is what I'm hearing. Yeah. And you you seem to have a very bright, bubbly personality, which means that you're willing to smile and nod and take it, uh, which might give off the wrong impression for men to continue to do it. You know, oh, she's receptive. I'm just going to continue to throw this at her. When trying to do the right thing, as a guy with a female bike racer, is there a point in time that we need to be a lot more self-aware than we actually are? Um, yeah. I mean, the timing and intention are important. Uh, I would say if one of the guys who was offering advice noticed, uh, there were several 
guys going up before offering the same advice, maybe they would have noticed that I had plenty of advice already given to me. Um, I mean, it's easy to to listen and uh, it's not easy to listen always, but it's it is nice because it. I take it as there's a lot of people invested and want me to do well and are supportive. So it's if I, you know, sometimes I put it with that sort of um, mentality and it's a little bit easier. Uh, the hard part is when you don't do well and you kind of get that same advice. Um, and, and that I would be a little bit more, um, I would push them to, to notice the timing of the advice. And if, you know, I got, 35th instead of third at Riverton, I probably wouldn't have been as receptive. Is there an appropriate time to just back away? You know, as as an advice giver, as somebody who's trying to help, is there an appropriate time for you to be like, you know what, maybe I'm hurting more than I'm helping? Yeah, that's hard because a lot of people uh, are probably similar to me and they're just happy to be a part of it and you know get get some advice some attention about the race and so you know they might not tell you to back off um i i probably wouldn't i probably would just listen so it's that's a hard question because there's not a lot of people who are who are going to just say hey man that's i've had enough i got advice once from an older lawyer and i remember because i was on the train to new york and uh from dc to new york it's like a two-hour train and he filled my head so quickly, but by the time we got to Wilmington, I didn't know what else he was saying. I like literally shut down. And it's a shame because I'm sure he gave me a lot of really great advice in that period of time from Wilmington to Penn Station. But I'll never know now because I just ran out of it. As a, a person receiving the advice, what should I have done right there? Should I have just said, well, you got a timeout. Can we get a drink or something like that? Like, you know, how do I let the person know that I, I, I'm, I'm up here. I'm full. This is all going right in and out. Yeah. Uh, I think that first suggestion might've worked, right? Let's, uh, let's talk about this over a beer. <laughs> you, maybe they would have, maybe they would have figured it out. Um, that probably would have made some of the advice easier. For me to swallow, someone said, I'd love to tell you about bike racing, but let me buy you a beer. Um, yeah, it's I mean, it's hard. Be, uh, I would say for people offering advice, maybe keep it short. And if they ask more questions, then maybe give them some more answers. But if you keep it short and they don't ask any more questions, you know, that might be a, big, a good cue to uh, walk away. Let's walk away from this topic for a second. That's that's called mirroring uh, for those people who are not into the game of asking people questions. Um, let's walk away for a second and talk about crashing. Obviously, crashing is a topic in criterium racing and in road racing in general. We're still on the downfall or the fallout. I think it's a better word from Spartanburg and the crash there and the men's race. You know, I, I don't believe that crashing is a part of criterium racing. I think it's a risk of it, but I don't like to think that it is a part that you have to crash in order to be a crit racer. I know there's the statement that there are those who have crashed and those who will crash. And we accept that. I have a bag filled with Tegaderm and ibuprofen at races. 
When was the first time in a bike race that you crashed? The day before Riverton. <laughs> I almost didn't race Riverton. Um, there, we were combined. We have small women's field. We we're combined with the 55 plus masters racers. And I unfortunately got involved in a crash from one of the masters racers when I was on the last lap. Um, and I ripped open my knee and I've ripped open this knee plenty of times. Um, cause I did some gravel before, uh, and I'm always seem to fall on my left knee and I again, fell on my left knee and crashed. Um, it was totally fine. Just lost a little skin. Um, slid a little, it was raining <clears throat> and it, it was fine. Uh, but I've crashed there and I've crashed, uh, probably a handful of times after that, at least two or three in a race. Have you learned something from these crashes? Yeah. Lower PSI in the rain. <laughs> and that crashing probably sucks and should be avoided at all possible costs. Has any of these crashes ever been your fault? Like you walk in, you walk away from me, you're like, nope, that was 100% on me. I was the idiot who did that. Um, well, um, uh, since you brought up Gateway, I crashed in that race on the rainy day. I think it was the third, third, third day. Uh, well, it was I, the hill because I crashed on that day too. <laughs> I crashed uh, two or three times that race. And one race, uh, one time, the first time was completely my, my fault. I was kind of in the back of the race, slid on the crosswalk that was freshly painted and fell and took myself out and nobody else, thankfully. Um, that was 100% my fault. That was a uh, corner two, the one that was uh, red, white, and green. Um, I did crash on that one as well. I think this one was the first corner. Oh, even better. Even better. I, I've been promised that they're just going to paint the entire course this year, red, white, and green. There will be no black on it at all. So they're just going to go all out, make it an ice rink for all of us. When you, when you do that, when you crash by yourself and you are solely at fault for your own downfall, how does that make you feel as a, as a, as a bike racer? Mm. Well, I'm already nervous and, uh, pretty going into it. And, and the confidence is usually pr pretty mild in the beginning of the race. Cause again, you're hearing all the call-ups of all the people who are racing around you. And then you crash and you're like, Oh yes, this is my first year of racing. <laughs> this is, I know that now everybody else knows that too. It's interesting. You've mentioned this multiple times in our chat is about confidence and self-doubt. You've never used the word self-doubt. I'm using that word. Do you doubt yourself? Do you think now, in retrospect, that you didn't belong? No. I, I have times where I have high confidence. I have times of low confidence, but I, I don't have a lot of self-doubt. Okay. When you talk about confidence and, you know, when you're approaching it here at Gateway, where you crashed twice on the hill or several times on the hill, how did you rally yourself to get back up and to go out there the very next day to do Benton Park, which is a substantially harder technical race than the four corner version of the hill that exists now? Yeah, it was harder. Um, again, I would say that was probably pretty naive of me. I was like, oh, that must have been the hardest one. And here's a new one. And it's a new day, new challenge. And gosh, it probably can't be as hard as the day before. Um, so you just go back out there and do it again. Also, I was guest riding for the team I'm now on. And uh, I sure as hell wasn't going to let anyone know that I didn't believe in myself for the next day. How important is it for you to be a part of Automatic? 
to be a part of this this particular team? Oh, it's really important, actually. Um, they took a huge risk uh, picking me. I'm very. They have, I'm sure they had hundred. I don't know how many applicants. I didn't ask, but I'm sure there's plenty of other people who applied with a lot more experience than I have, um, and it probably have been a safer and better option for them, perhaps. But they took a chance with me, and I'm really grateful to get a chance to race with the team um, on so little experience. Did you play team sports when you were growing up? I swam and I did triathlon. I was arguably on no team sports ever. Um, there, There is an element of team in swimming, but it's, it is you racing everyone else. Yeah. Uh, as a, as a swimmer myself, I can vouch for the fact that, uh, team was a weird word. Even when you did relays, I was always the first person in the relay. So it it still felt like a individual competition that I handed off to the next guy. But coming into bike racing and specifically coming into crit racing, how have you learned about this concept of team, about putting your faith in another woman and having the knowledge that she's doing the same for you? Yeah, so I'm still learning this, actually. Um, you know, I raced unattached last year, minus the, the few times I guess rode. Uh, very few times I guess run. and I didn't know I actually remember texting Tom in May when a team had reached out about joining and I had said um wh- what do I tell these people I don't want to be on a team I don't know if there's any benefit of being on a team and I'm not sure that I would be any benefit to a team if I did join so what do I say he's like we'll tell them now and I was like Oh, oh, okay. That, that sounds great. And then I remember thinking the next race I signed up for, everybody was on a team except for me. And I was like, huh, maybe there is some benefit that I didn't know about. And then at that same race, I took, you know, took a couple laps off the front and I was caught by a team. And I was thinking, ah, maybe, maybe the benefit is there's, you help the team and the team helps you. Right. So there was a benefit that I just hadn't understood yet. And now post Athens, and this is a long walk, but the journey I think has been worth it. Do you understand better the the value of being a part of this team of what a team filled with women can do? Yes, definitely. Um, yeah. The, the team, you know, having, having a, a role and having a group of people to race with and the race for um, is pretty exciting. Uh, it kind of changes the whole thing. It came, it's changed from what I was relating to swimming to, to something completely different that I, I didn't quite understand. So let's talk about Athens because I think this is fabulous. Um, when we were talking in the green room, I made mention of the fact that I didn't get to see the beginning of it because of technical difficulties on Flo's part. And when I finally tuned in to Athens, you were off the back, which is not abnormal. And nobody should be ashamed of getting dropped at Athens because it's a freaking hard course. And only the best seem to emerge from it. But you did something unusual. You caught back up. And when I say you were off the back, you were off the back, not like, close like a corner past being off the back what happened 
Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'll try not to be too embarrassed. Um, so I actually got a call up at that race and I was in the front of the race for the beginning of the race. Um, and I had that, that moment where you're getting listening to all the call-ups and you're getting a little bit nervous and the confidence is maybe just shrinking a little bit, even though you're like, I definitely should be here. And I'm, you know, I'm strong enough to take that call up. Right. Um, and then, uh, in my glory and in my inexperience, I didn't flip in. And so I got moved very quickly to the back that they put a preem on the first lap and mishandled, I'd say probably three of the first corners of Athens, um, getting shuffled around. And then, um, I found myself pretty far back very, very, very quickly. I, um, at first I was like, oh, this is a very manageable distance to close. And, um, the gap actually got bigger, right? Cause they're going much faster than I am alone. And then I kind of thought to myself, um, well, I came all the way down here to race and my parents are here. And my husband is here. And this is my first race with the team. I'm, am I allowed to swear on this podcast? You can do it. I was like, <laughs> say whatever you want. <laughs> I was like, I'm not fucking getting dropped at Athens. And uh, the moto guy who sits in the back of the race kind of looked at me and was like, come on. And I said, don't fucking pull me. <laughs> I'm going to get back on. And it took me, I think, 12, 12 laps. Um, and I got back on to you know, finish middle of the pack. But you went to the front, too. <sighs> I did. Yeah. I mean, I mean, admittedly, there are several women on automatic who have similar builds and hair color. So I'm never really sure when it's you as compared to one of your teammates. I guess Automatic has a lot of tall brunettes, but whatever. You went to the front. You went off the back. You went, actually, let me start that one over again. You went from the front to the back, to off the back, to back on, to off the front again in the span of one of the hardest races in the United States. Yeah, so uh, that was me. I did go off the front uh, with three to go, actually. Um, I was sitting in the middle of the pack when I caught back on, and one of my teammates, Lauren, who's the director of the team as well, who's the head of the team, she said, uh, you should you should try to win, right? You should get to the front. And I said, well, I don't know if I can. And she said, well, are your legs working? And I was like, yeah, the legs work fine. I'm just very nervous. She goes, well, let's go. And she helped me navigate through the pack. And then all of a sudden, now my legs are working fine and my brain's in the right place. And I said, uh, the thing I always tell myself, when you're feeling good, you might as well attack. So that's that's what I did. Um, and I remember passing the the, the uh, announcers and they were like, and we have someone going off the front automatic. And, and I gave a little wave and, and I think Frankie said, oh, we see you, Kim Stovell. And I was like, oh, this was the right decision. The announcers would never steer me wrong. They want me to do well. And so I kept going. And I, uh, yeah, finished middle of the pack. But you left it all out there. I mean, there can be no, nobody in America can argue that Kim Stovall did not leave everything out there on the field of play on that particular day. Now, yeah, now the question is, what's next? You know, it's May. You've just completed your first speed week. There's a lot of bike racing left to go. Where do you want to go next? Yeah. So next, our next big team race is Wilmington. And remember how I said I made that huge error last year at Wilmington? 
Well, I won't be making it this year and I hope to be just as strong. Um, and you know, our whole team is coming. So hopefully um, all these errors I made last year with not realizing the importance of being on a team, you know, sitting on the front the whole time um, and, and assuming that I'm, I'm just, just as strong, just as smart and just as experienced as everyone else when most of that's not true. I'm going to, uh, you know, make some changes this year and hopefully be a little bit more successful or consistent. And then what's the big races or what are some of the big races for you this year? Do you have redemption in mind for gateway at the hill? No crashing? Yeah, we'll have to see. Um, that one hadn't, you know, it wasn't that I didn't or did not want redemption. Um, but there's a few other races that same weekend that I'm actually eyeing as well. Um, I do have a, I really do like stage racing as well. And so that is Green Mountain as well. So I might, I might talk myself into that one. I really hope that you come to Gateway because I get to watch you race again. But if you go to Green Mountain, I completely understand. So uh, it's a little bit of please do it for me. But at the same time, you know, you winning Green Mountain would be pretty freaking awesome. And I think you've got a good shot at it. Um, if you could walk away from this conversation and give one piece of advice to the, the Kim Stolvelds to come. The women who are, you know, experiencing an urge to get involved in bike racing or to try something new. What would be the advice that you now being two and a half years into this journey would give to that person? Yeah, I think I would encourage people to, to do it. Um, bike, bike racing is one of those sports where you can come from a different sport and your fitness will translate pretty well. I experienced that. Um, and it's exciting. You can, you're always going to get a little bit better in bike racing. Um, and you'll probably get better pretty quickly, uh, cause there isn't so many of us, but it's, you know, you gotta, the, the one thing I wasn't expecting is, is when you don't do well, it, you know, you, it's, it's kind of a kick in the face. It's, it's, it hurts a little bit more. Um, but the nice thing is there's always another race next weekend, right? So there's another chance to get better. Well, Kim, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us on another episode of the show. We are a proud part of the Wide Angle Podium Network of Shows. Today's episode was written, produced, and edited by me, Rob Kelly, with special thanks to Kim Stovall, the wonderful guest that we had on. We will be back next week. Our guest will be the one and only Cade Bickmore as we go back inside the Project Echelon files for 2023. So join us here again next week for more stories from our Criterium Nation. <laughs>